to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, man, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. And for the next few months, we're going to focus particularly on delegates from this past synod to talk about what just happened and where we might be going in the future. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Monday. We also want to say thank you and let you know how blessed we are by the generous sponsors we have over on Patreon. We are so close to our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing, want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. We've also created a Facebook page where we're putting out additional content. We'd love for you to head on over and find us at facebook.com backslash the messy reformation. Like our page for more updates. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of Synod Reflections by Daryl DeClerc. What happened at Synod then together was a bit of a macrocosm for how the, the denomination and each congregation is going to have to play out. Uh, in processing the results of the decisions of synod, and maybe that's a you know an area you want to head to uh, next, or uh, you got a few other questions in mind yet. But anyway, yeah, no, we can we can go right there. I was just going to amen that. I literally right before we had this podcast, I was talking with people and uh, talking about the importance of having not not only just face to face conversation, but but just real honest conversation in order to have healthy community. And, uh, and so that's uh, one of, you know, our churches, our churches and our classes that I was dealing with a classical renewal thing. Um, when there's an issue, everybody tries to dance around the issue and not like, well, I think this is an issue, but we don't really want to say it because we don't want to offend somebody. And, and, uh, and then we'd never talk about it. And that's just super unhealthy. Right. And that happens in churches too, where we're like, I think this person has a problem with me, but we're just going to dance around it and never address it rather than, like you said, go and, and talk to them. And when we don't have those conversations, um, it things fester and they just turn out to be a mess. And so I think, I think that's probably been happening a little bit in the CRC for a while, right? We haven't been really having some of these, um, pointed, clear conversations. I don't think they have to be mean, but they can be clear on where we stand on things. And um, we hadn't done that for a while. And so this was a good, I felt like we were able to do that. We had really clear conversations. And I think like you said, uh, and if you can agree and you can build on this, but moving forward, I think churches um, need to start having those same clear conversations as well, kind of moving out of this. Yeah, for sure. I know when classless meetings were only on Zoom for a little while there, at least in uh, BC classes, BC Southeast, um, you know, our church didn't want to uh, float our um, our balloon, uh, whether or not people supported the uh, human sexuality report or not. 
Um, but we had written an overture, and uh, so when the when the first in-person opportunity came, uh, you know, only uh, what was it four months before Synod uh, at our classes meeting, then we put out our overture in support of the HSR, and and then that became a face-to-face -face conversation that we had in our classes, and uh, there was a majority that supported uh, our overture, um, but it brought out the conversation in, yeah. Uh, uh, a guided way, obviously, in a synod context and a classes context, and um, yeah, in a way that allowed yeah the range of voices in our classes uh, to be heard. And so yeah, it'll be very interesting moving forward how it's going to play out at the classes level. But I, I do want to pick up this congregational uh, level of conversation here a bit. You, you mentioned that um, I did take the. Uh, challenging conversations toolkit training back in January, uh, which the uh, Office of uh, uh, Pastor Church Resources has prepared. I hear the uptake for that is stronger in the Canadian churches than in the American. Um, and uh, but one of the uh, interesting things as I look back on the last half a year is that yes, I took that training, but I never facilitated those groups. Our elders had given me permission to do that. Uh, a number of things came up. I was involved in a mission trip and so on, and then it was preparing for synod. And I thought, well, why don't we wait until the decisions of synod and then have this challenging conversations toolkit conversations? And they've up, they've since updated apparently uh, that that toolkit for these sorts of conversations. But I would encourage uh, uh, churches to to pick that tool up. It seems a bit too dialogical to me, like almost like every person's perspective. Uh, you know, has weight. Um, but on the other hand, um, I think that if we're not involved in a respectful dialogue, you know, like the Apostle Paul uh, exhibited uh, in Athens uh, and with, uh, like, like he encourages uh, in, um, uh, what is it, Colossians, you know, do this with gentleness and respect, you know, as, or, or maybe that, that's Peter, yeah, First uh, Peter 3.16, I believe where where he says, you know, always be ready to pre be prepared to give the hope that's within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I think respect includes finding out where other people are at. Uh, Jesus, find, you know, knew where people were at. And so I think a challenging conversations toolkit of just putting everybody's fears and hopes out on the table in a roundtable format allows them to feel heard and loved. And what... Um, what has the gospel done for us, but to allow us to feel love, whether or not our positions or actions were ever in line with, you know, holy living or not, um, the fact that God's grace poured into us uh, opened us up to the gospel. And so if we're shutting down conversations um, that don't show respect for people, even if they disagree with the denomination's perspective, uh, to me, we're not uh, going about uh, the way of gospel proclamation. Uh, and so I think that uh, there's a tremendous opportunity here for churches and certainly of conservative nature as well to open up conversations, to ask people, what does this mean for you uh, that Synod has made this decision? And, uh, and how can we help to feel what pain there may be for you in this decision? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Willie and I were just talking about that earlier today. Um, Again, it kind of connects what you were just saying with uh, what we had said earlier, as far as like avoiding some of these tough conversations, and uh, and so we we 
sometimes on the one hand, we can be so afraid. Like, so one of the reasons I didn't personally use the challenging conversations toolkit is because like you said, that kind of was like, well, what do you feel about this? What do you feel about this? And then I never felt like it got down to like landing on anything. It just kind of left it there. And so I just created my own. I, I just started doing a series. Um, I just, we, so I just, just to next week, I'll finish up a 20 part series on biblical sexuality, um, addressing kind of the breadth of what the sexuality report did, kind of giving my own take. And then what we did was at the end of the service, then I was just available for conversation for anybody who wanted to push back, agree or disagree, we could talk and, and I'm good with listening and and uh, helping people process. And so we did that. No, not many people took me up on it, which I was a little disappointed for because I wanted more conversation. But um, but anyways, we did that. But but for so long, the church has just avoided a lot of these conversations, again, because they're tense and awkward, right? And I think we need to repent of that. So I was telling Willie that, um, you know, in our, uh, in my years of ministry, I we had numerous kids who had come through who were dealing with various, you know, struggles with sexuality. And when I was an early pastor, um, I was afraid to touch it, to try to address it. And so they would know where I stood on it, but I never got to talk to them about it because I had just tried to avoid it all the time because I didn't, on the one hand, I was worried I was going to hurt the relationship and I wanted to keep ministering to them. And on the other hand, I wanted to tell them that this was not good for them and this was going to damage them. And, and I was all torn with how to do it. And so I just avoided it. And, uh, and I think for me, uh, recently in the last, you know, five years or so, I've been repenting of that avoidance that that was not good. And that was, you know, I need to repent of that and turn from it. And so I'm trying to enter into these conversations and, and be, uh, caring and loving on the one hand, and then also being able to speak truth, right? There's the whole speak truth and love. And uh, that's what we're going to have to do. Cause I think most churches are like, I was just, just speaking with a guy who was has struggling with various areas of sexuality. And he said, well, my parents don't love me. And I said, is that true? And he said, well, no, I don't think that's true. They just don't know how to talk to me. And I said, yes. That's accurate, I think. I, they don't know how to broach the topic with you. And so it's not that they don't love you and they need to repent. They need to talk to you. They can't avoid you because this is uncomfortable. But it's not that they don't love you. It's they just don't know how to have the conversation. And I think that's where a lot of our churches are at too. They're like, ah, I just don't know how to talk about it. So then we avoid it. And I think hopefully some of the benefit coming out of Synod is that we're going to be forcing people to have some of these conversations and you just dive in and you're probably going to mess up, but you need uh, messing up and trying, trying and messing up is better than just completely avoiding it in, in the long run. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. And Daryl, my question next for you is kind of about this too. Um, obviously when we're, we're talking on the floor of Synod, uh, you, you really can't avoid some of these issues. Uh, especially when uh, the leadership said we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and let the queue the speaker queue run its course so that we can uh, keep deliberation and discourse going. Um, I, I want to get to the question of what of some things that you uh, thought maybe were a little concerning to you at Synod, but I, I really want your opinion on how you think dialogue went on the floor of Synod. 
how, how do you think everybody handled themselves and represented themselves or maybe their, their opposition accurately? How do you think that discourse went in your estimation? Well, at one point, uh, okay, well, I, I think that uh, everyone's reflections for the most part were well thought out and uh, we were able to, uh, to limit tones that were unhelpful. Um, and I thought the coaching of some of the, of the, of the contributors, uh, the speakers by uh, the, uh, the Synod officers was helpful too, right? Uh, first, you know, going from three minutes down to two minutes even. <laughs> and so it really helped to uh, allow people uh, a clarity and, and being concise. Um, people were, for the most part, uh, speaking to the chair, and so there was no uh, personal attacks. Uh, uh, well, th th there were very few personal attacks in that regard. Um, there was addressing what had previously been raised by another speaker, but you know the, the respectful tone was there as well. Um, yeah, one of uh, the things that I wanted to do, for instance, was to bring in some of the uh, the advisors that were there. Uh, I was thankful for the confidence of a couple of the young adult representatives, Willie, you being one of them to address things on the floor. Uh, I know uh, Professor Jeff Wyma was, was there, the whole synod, uh, as one of the authors of the Human Sexuality Report. And at one point, uh, I thought the discussion was centering on hermeneutics in a way that he would uh, be best able to speak to. And so, I used my opportunity uh, to speak to invite him, and so he did that well and was given an appropriate amount of time to do that. And so, yeah, I was glad for uh, the overall tone, but the, the content was was deep. I thought some excellent points were made uh, on both sides of the uh, of the issue, but you know, also um, not just on on that, but uh, you know, th there were other matters that that Synod discussed as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, interviewing uh, Zach King, for instance, uh, and the Calvin Seminary professors, mm -hmm. uh, the, the dialogue uh, about why uh, they should be supported in those positions or not, I thought was healthy, well-rounded, uh, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really fair. That's good analysis. Yeah, I had forgot that you were the first one to to give Jeff the opportunity to exercise his his privilege of the floor as a faculty advisor. Yeah, that was, that was, that was very well done. I, just as I've rewatched these things, I'd been noticing the same thing that you had kind of just mentioned. People were focusing on hermeneutics quite a bit. Uh, so I thought, uh, I thought that was a good move on your part, um, inviting Jeff up. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. One uh, of the, okay. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the questions that we, um, have been asking um, as we kind of re reflect on Synod a little bit um, is what what did you learn about yourself and the CRC uh, coming out of this past Synod? Wow. Uh, I think, uh, first of all, what I learned about myself, um, well, I, I, I always knew I'm, I'm not the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer, but I was definitely humbled <laughs> by some of the, the accuracy and, uh, and, and depth of, of knowledge and wisdom of the scriptures and polity 
uh, and pastoral sensitivities uh, of, of some of the, the speakers. And I, I came away with an admiration for them, uh, but also <laughs> uh, a bit of an inferiority complex that I had to wrestle down, actually, and, and just to hear God's voice again to say, hey, uh, you know, you have value in the place that you're at that I've called you to. Um, no, you don't have your uh, D-min or, or PhD, um, but, you know, you, you're, you're serving faithfully and with the best that you have. And so just continue to live into that. And so I, I yeah, that, that, that's been part of the post-synod um, uh, yeah, reflection about myself since then. Um, I've also realized that um, my, my sense of compassion, I think, is deeper um, and, and that I do want that uh, more for the CRC. Like, for instance, um, th there was that uh, heavy-hearted moment when Synod was, was uh, uh, adjourned for a dinner break, and we, when we stepped outside, the police officers were guiding us past uh, a, a large group, a couple hundred uh, uh, folks in rainbow flags and, and uh, who, who had come to sing uh, and, and, well, yeah, protest in some ways, but also represent and, uh, yeah, to have their voices heard. And as I walked past them, and, and so many of the other delegates were, obviously, we'd come through a long conversation. The decisions hadn't been fully made yet, I believe, uh, at that point. But I, I just had this burden for the tremendous hurt that so many of these people have experienced. Um, and, and that the Human Sexuality Report calls us to repent of. There's very lengthy prayers of confession in the uh, HSR. And, uh, and so I thought these people aren't going to be impressed at all with what the theological decisions are, but I hope that they can at least be impressed with what the pastoral implications of uh, the HSR would be. And so I thought as a small representation of the HSR, somebody should go and engage with them and not just the people who might agree with them theologically. And so I skipped dinner that day. I, I just enjoyed uh, an hour and a half of chats with some of them, got a selfie with a number of them who, who after a while we had developed some rapport. Uh, and I asked them, you know, I'm not gonna post this uh, broadly, but I just want a selfie to show uh, the, uh, the trans person in our church, you know, that I'm, I, I, I didn't make these decisions in a vacuum that was without appreciation for the people who are affected most profoundly by it. And, uh, and sure enough, the, the dear uh, gal from our church was, was thankful to actually her that selfie when I got back. And, you know, just to, uh, as, as evidence of, I think, what we all need to be doing. And, and I was somewhat disappointed in coming out of Synod that more people weren't willing to engage with them and to feel that hurt, um, even to sing along with them. And I recognize that you know, there's, there's some uh, apprehension because some people have been, uh, yeah, to a profound detriment, uh, been taken by uh, an ideology that uh, seeks to orient their identity around their gender uh, or around their sexuality. Uh, and, and one of the one of aspects of, of my conversation with some of these dear folks was, you know, do you think there might be more unity to be had under the flag of the cross than the rainbow flag. Uh, and so they were challenged by that as much as I was challenged by them saying yes, but under the rainbow flag, we, we feel a sense of, of belonging because we're part of a bigger movement. And I, well, I, 
And then I came back to them, right, and said, yes, but um, that's what the cross is too, right? And uh, a sense of belonging. And so, you know, back and forth we went. But I feel like, you know, these kinds of conversations um, could and, and should have been had uh, a little bit more if informally, of course, uh, even if not formally, but maybe especially because they weren't held formally, uh, like some of these folks were hoping uh, that you know, more informal conversations could have been had. So, and all of the conversations involved tears on at least some of their, their part uh, for, the, for the struggle that this has been for them and the pain that, it's, that it reflects. Yeah, so anyway, there's uh, some of my reflections on uh, not just the good uh, and the bad, but yeah, maybe even the ugly of synod. Yeah, amen. What, uh, do you have any new insights or new thoughts about the Christian Reformed Church as a denomination as a result of this past synod? Oh, yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're in for uh, some really rocky uh, waves. You know, I just got an email this morning from uh, our class of stated clerk, and uh, there's, as you perhaps know, uh, there, there's been... Uh, a Canadian catalytic conversations that have been happening to process uh, the structure and leadership task force, the SALT report, uh, and so on, and, and to make recommendations. Uh, and so these catalytic conversations on a Canadian national level uh, have been happening. It, it's not necessarily anything formal. It's just sort of a, a round table, a, a few events that they've had uh, across in different places across Canada, trying to get representation from each classes, but there's nothing formal necessarily about these um, these these conversations. We're just more networking, and so another of these conversations has been scheduled for September, um, in light of uh, sentence decisions and so on. And so, I anticipate some of the representatives there from every class us will be suggesting, well, you know, because of the weight of uh, of, of the Orthodox uh, position. In the American churches, the relative weight, you know, Canadian churches need to secede or, you know, things like this. Um, I, I anticipate that. Uh, I anticipate <clears throat> other areas of the Christian Reformed Church, like in the lower mainland in BC here, um, some of the pastors, in fact, there was an overture to this effect um, from classes BC Northwest, um, uh, which has more of the Vancouver proper churches. Um, the, the overture suggested you know, a, a kind of mixing and uh, a, a realignment, I believe was the word, of congregations uh, where people from the Reformed Church of America, where there are some congregations there, you know, can join the CRC if they're more traditional in marriage and, you know, uh, people from the Christian Reformed Church can go over to the RCA. And that may work well in, in many American places, too, where there's adequate representation of both denominations. But in outlying areas where I live, three hours, five hours inland, we don't have a, a, an RCA church here. Uh, we we're just going to have to settle for uh, either a, a bigger tent in, in some ways, or in the very least, you know, some some tensions uh, that that exist. Uh, you know, given what has been decided about uh, covenant for office bearers and everything, by big tent I mean, you know, people who disagree with this are going to have to say, well other aspects of the CRC still matter enough to me that I'm going to put that aside and still be a member in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, or, as uh, can be anticipated too, some are just going to say, well, I'm leaving for more of the mainline 
denominations that have long decided in favor of same-sex marriage and uh, and then go there. So, uh, but you know, either way, it's going to involve strain and pain and waves. And uh, yeah, I, I think this is a watershed moment for the Christian Forum Church. Uh, I think that uh, God is still at work here. Uh, I'm not going to give up on God, uh, even if it's a smaller remnant. You know, I, I think of uh, Gideon and the 300 uh, that he was uh, required to get down to for the battle against the, uh, uh, the, the enemy there. Uh, Jesus started with 12 and 72 disciples. Right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not afraid of a smaller crowd. Um, either in our church, you know, if, if for various reasons uh, our church dwindles uh, to the point that it's challenging to support uh, our, our youth and worship coordinator as well as me in a full-time ministry, you know, I, I'd be willing to go to a, a part-time role uh, to be able to, to be a bivocational pastor uh, to serve here if that's what should need to happen. So I, there's going to be, I think, a lot of adjustments uh, happening in, in CRC. It's going to look very different depending on each local context, but I think the 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 common denominator will be struggle and conflict and pain. Even if, uh, yeah, you know, we, we we can give each other a, a farewell and a blessing. You know, uh, it'll still involve struggle. So, yeah, yeah. yeah what's your feeling on uh, kind of what's the general feel from the churches, at least in your area? Um, and I'm, I'm thinking Canadian churches in general, but I'm not going to make you the speaker on behalf of all Canadian churches. Um, but at least the churches that you've talked to, how, how are those churches responding to the SALT decisions from Synod? Is it uh, generally positive? Or? Yep, yep. Uh, the Structure and Leadership Task Force, I haven't heard um, many waves at all about that. Uh, but then again, I've had some vacation times in Synod and so on too. So, um, we, and we haven't even had a a congregational meeting, uh, sorry, uh, uh, a council meeting, uh, nor even an exec meeting, come to think of it, um, which is coming up in uh, in a week and a bit. So, yeah, some of these things we'll be able to unpack a little bit further. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that the SALT report, uh, at least in Classis, uh, BC Southeast, isn't that um, consequential. Uh, I, I think that... Uh, there's a degree of trust in the the process as it happened uh unfortunate as it may have been with uh, darren rorda's release uh, from his role um as good a ministry as as he did do uh, as good a leadership as he did provide um yeah i i think there's in a similar way as synod said you know there's there's maybe we're best off to leave this water under the bridge uh, not rehash everything, um, even if there is some justice to be sought there. But uh, point being, apologies were made for what errors uh, there were in that. And I think that there's some hope that, okay, with this new SALT structure, yes, we can go forward uh, more as as equals. But again, I've kept a pretty low pro denominationally speaking. And uh, uh, when I was in Ontario, and now I'm even further afield in BC from you know, the Ontario Burlington uh, center of, of action there, at least with the ministry agencies. And so I'm, I'm willing to uh, speak less on this matter uh, than somebody else might be willing to. Yeah, sure. Well, kind of our final question that we have been asking and, and are asking now is, you know, based on what just happened at Synod and what you're seeing happen in the CRC, 
Um, what do you think, what next steps do you encourage uh, pastors, members, churches, classes to start taking to see the CRC become a, a healthy denomination? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, um, my first uh, gut instinct is staying true to God's word. Uh, clearly, uh, there is a, a profound heart across the CRC uh, to love the Lord, uh, to love others, uh, to minister in Christ's name. And so that orthodoxy, I think, that was underscored at Synod uh, is, is going to be something that we'll, we'll need to uh, continually revisit. You know, in a culture like ours, it's constantly challenged. But also, like I mentioned in my own interaction um, with folks uh, who are LGBTQ uh, inclined, uh, you know, I, the orthopraxy is going to have to be huge as well. And we're going to have to challenge each other in that, hold each other accountable to that, just as we are in orthodoxy. And I like uh, what uh, banner editor Xiao Chong uh, mentioned in one of his editorials leading up to Synod, uh, the orthocardia, right? Having a right heart. And uh, that was a, a helpful term to me uh, to understand uh, that, that that infuses both orthodoxy and orthopraxis, uh, right? Uh, belief and action. So... Yeah, maybe another thing uh, that might we might factor in as well moving forward in this is knowing how to grieve. Uh, I've talked about our challenges and the, and the choppy waters ahead. Uh, I think the pandemic taught us how to grieve. Um, it taught us how to grieve empty churches uh, and new ways of going about things. Um, it taught us to uh, take stock of what we can do and what possibilities there are. Uh, and to rebuild. And I think those are now tools that we're going to have to uh, pick up again <laughs> as, we, as we go through this. Um, there's going to be a different nature to it, though, now, because the pandemic was an external force. Um, but and we're going to be dealing with some internal waves caused by, yeah, for instance, fellow office bearers calling each other to account. Uh, you know, when, um, yeah, when their fellow office bearers, fellow congregations in different classes are not abiding by uh, God's word. And so this is going to be part of the heartache uh, of this. And, you know, this isn't personal, we might say, you know, but this is, uh, this is for the Lord. This is for the truth of his word. This is for uh, the, the appropriate uh, way that we're brought in repentance to the Lord. Uh, this is for the sake of a common hermeneutic that bonds us as reform congregations and if it's something else that you think ought to bind reform congregations together then come out and say it and get your uh, confessional revision grab them and sharpen up and so on you know let's have the the conversation instead of being sly and subversive and uh, and so on about you know actually going about ministry in ways that would disagree with what we've collectively decided so yeah so we're going to have to um to challenge but learn how to rebuild that's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for Synod Reflections by Corey Naderville. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. <laughs>